My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that I give them in a shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. to a rhythm and tempo that pulls us into greater awareness. But for too long, our attention has been transfixed on the artificial hum of our machinery and the spectacle light shows of electric contraptions. We are divine spark, the creative essence, artistic expression condensed, spiritual experience in the form of a human. Now is the time to emerge, merge into this ever-present now with today's guest, Rachel Wolf, as we venture into the artistic void and collaborate a path to awakening. I'm Mystic Mark, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast with Rachel Wolf. It's all embedded in different areas, fields, I guess you could call it. We, we've, you know, we've separated these things by, in society when they're not really separated at all. And I think that's what a lot of the, you know, when someone's calling someone crazy, it's like you're, you're seeing a connection that may or may not have been validated by a group. And that's really it, <laughs> which is kind of... Um, it's a little unnerving at times because it's like, how do you, how do you find the truth then, or truth at all, if it's so multifaceted? Right. So <laughs> I get why people just say, oh, well, that's crazy, because then you don't have to think about it then. Welcome back to the My Family Thinks I'm Crazy podcast. Why don't we start with the new? work that you just finished up share what that's about and and then we'll sort of circle over to some of the ideas you just discussed because you got my you jogged my my mind there so i'm 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 primed and ready to go okay sure all right so the it's funny because i i often you know when you're making art when i'm making art it's a ton of decisions it's choice after choice after choice and it's almost complete freedom, right? You can make whatever you want. You don't have to make anything. 
mm. kind of the law of creating. <laughs> you don't have to do anything, but you decided to do something. And so every choice has, for me, when I'm making something, has to have a, a purpose. Not a point, per se, because I think a lot of art is jabby. And I just finished these things. I don't know what to call them, an ice tablet or an ice block. And it's <laughs> really funny. There's a motorcycle. <laughs> That's where I get all my ideas is when I'm out walking. And because they're not even my ideas. They're things that kind of form over time, like seasons come and go. Right. And someone said, but it, 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 it's not an ice tablet. It's an art pad. <laughs> it's funny just as, you know, iPad and iPhone. And it's an art pad. And I thought that's really funny because they are actually made of wood as children's toy blocks would be, but they're not in the shape of a children's toy block. So, but it's like the choice to use the wood block versus another choice. So it's, it's all these choices. And while I was making these tablets, it was going perfect. It was a great project. And I'm thinking, yes, this is going to be done in a day or two because it's been idling simmering i've been thinking i have a whole plan right <laughs> you probably already know where this is going it didn't go according to plan it was going perfect it was a nice project mm -hmm. my father actually helped me with and then it went to hell because it slipped out of my hands <laughs> well, and <laughs> it's a nice tablet so <laughs> right <laughs> but it's made of wood but it, it was like again mentally right. maybe i was floating to a memory and falling on the ice. You know, mm. I always think that I'm really present when I'm creating something because I believe in energy and I, I want to be really intentional about how I'm directing the energy to the choices. And so that it, you know, makes really strong, firm connections with people. And it slipped out of my hands and it, you know, it was like Murphy's law was in complete control that day. And it went from a one-hour thing to a three-hour thing, and then we had to get out the door. Thankfully, we had a plan to go spend time with family, friends. Otherwise, I, I was just so upset. It was, it was, it wasn't that it was going to be a failure. It was just the knowledge that I had created so much work for myself that I never had to. I didn't have to do the project at the beginning. Mm. And even though I had the weird thing about artists, even though there was a pre-arrangement to show it and it's going to be collected by the art farm in Iowa, which is a new, a new destination for a lot of art in the Midwest. You know, they, they, it's not like he would be mad at me, right? It's, 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 you can't fail in a way. So the idea of failure, like really is tumbling around in my mind so much when this happens, because I was like, it's impossible to fail. But at the same time, it would be failing the vision that I had made for the work. Right. So after all of this, it's like, it, it, I was thinking like, oh my gosh, no wonder people think artists are crazy because why do I care so much about this, this thing, right? That no one even knows about or will maybe a few, how many people will see, you know, I have no idea. It's mostly unknown material, but it's, I, I care about this so much. Right. And I was like, so it was actually became, the iPhone tablet project became this understanding of a lot of the 
I guess, cultural tropes or kind of assumptions around artists and what they're like and what it must be like that I always felt confronted by. So this was one of the first art projects. I always think about the viewer, of course. This is one of the first projects that I, I did that made me understand why society says those things. You know, when we're talking about society and people say society, this or society, that. And we're all using these amazing devices. I mean, honestly, I, I, you know, I don't believe everyone's a photographer, even if we have a camera in hand. Everybody has the potential. It's like this is another art conversation. You have the potential. But when does it become art or when does it become significant or is it kitsch or, you know, these questions. So it went to hell and it did. And my, my dad took a look at it and he just, he gave so much compassion because he had also had his hand in it, which was also why I was also upset because I had been using someone else's resources and energy and mind on it. And he just had so much compassion and he could see my suffering because I cared about this project so much. And it was really bizarre. It was like there was a turning point and there was literally the next day after I, you know, calmed down, we had a nice time. I tried to forget about it. And there was a rainbow in the backyard. I mean, it's like we were, oh, it's a rainbow because it's raining outside and and this rainbow, I can send you a photograph. It's, I think the cutest part is my mom making a picture of the rainbow. In fact, everyone could be a photographer. <laughs> my mom is actually a great photographer. And it's a, it's a backyard rainbow. The rainbow started and ended in the backyard. I've never seen it. I've seen a ton of rainbows in Norway, of course. And I've never seen one. It was like a miniature. It was so cute. I'm thinking, what is going on here? <laughs> this is bizarre. And then the next day, I started the, you know, I had to sand everything down and basically redo the whole thing. Got a different epoxy kit and, you know, proceeded to fix it over the next week and a half. I think two weeks probably in total. So a couple day project turned into like an entire month. And it, inv it involves so many people, just the process of creating it. And so many different, like the project itself has its own story. Like that has nothing to do with me. I just happen to be the one that messed it up, right? <laughs> or <laughs> what, what did mess it up? You know, it's like this question of I, you know, the egoic artist, or, you know, what compelled me to do it in the first place, which is something really cool because, of course, I grew up in a place where, you know, most people wouldn't think artists are. You know, they're in L.A., they're in New York. But actually, there's a lot of people that love art in agricultural areas. And everybody understands it, and they all think it's funny. Which is great, because I, I, I want it to be funny, too. It's not supposed to just be flat, dead conceptual art. It should be conceptual art with a little more... more <laughs> and it's, I mean, it's kind of funny, because it's, it was a more popular thing to do in restaurants or in the seventies was to coat images with resin or epoxy, right? So it's another association with time and ice and it's a frozen moment in time. And it's, it's like a, it's a bit semiotic or etymological sort of approach to object making. 
Uh, and people, they, they, they get it. And it's, that for me was, I guess, a triumph over the failure because everyone understands it and they it and it gets them thinking, but not in a hot-headed way. A lot of art is political, right? So I, I feel like it ended up being better than it would have ever been if it hadn't gone through that sort of failure cycle. It's like the, the ice tablet had its own hero's journey, <laughs> including rainbows. It was like, wow. and yeah, <laughs> I don't know. It will probably be like a two-minute story in 10 years from now, but it's so fresh. <laughs> yeah, well, it is like the the endless cycle of water. Right. For a brief moment. Wow. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the photograph was from 2009 or eight. I was living in Chicago and we'd always have ice crystals on the window. You know, there's, there's, there's a bad insulation. So it, it was a, it was a project that accumulated over time as well. Yeah. So you got me thinking about this tipping point, right? Like when does art become art? When is it just like random noise? What differentiates the two? I, I don't right. know what the artist's name is. I'm going to say Monet, but it could be a different artist. Maybe you'll know this story, but I'm pretty sure okay. someone like Monet, they essentially hit it big with their first painting. Right. And, and they really impressed everybody. And, you know, they came back each month or whatever to each showing and, you know, nothing ever kind of lived up to that first work. Right. And, and mm. again, I don't know if this is Monet, it might be someone else, but apparently, you know, 10, 12 years goes by and this guy's just tortured by this fact that he can't surpass his first work. Like why is my first work still my best work? I've created all of these amazing things since. And one day, he goes to the gallery and everyone's like, wow, you did it again. You did it again. This is amazing. And enough time had passed by that they had forgotten that the painting they were looking at was his first work. So he had this temporary <laughs> excitement of like, oh, finally I did it. And then he realized his disappointment, like, oh, no, they're just marveling after that 10 year old painting that I could never B. And again, if this is Monet, I apologize, you know, to the artist who it might be, or I don't know. I'm not sure. I think it's Monet, but either way, it's kind of interesting, like the timelessness of that piece, you know, people, right. it sort of slipped out of their immediate consciousness enough to surprise them again with its beauty. Right. Wow. <laughs> I think I've heard that before, but it's been a while. And you're speaking to another question that I've always wondered. You know, because art is in service of something. And it's tied to an identity because that's how we historicize it. But at, at the end of the day, it's like, do people really remember? The, they remember the art. And the, would they remember the artist if there wasn't a story attached to it? Because it, it's sort of re-talking about innovation, right? Or... <laughs> cultural development, how society develops. It was an integral part of that contextual happening that the artist was situated in and, the, and performed work. But we were just today looking at 
straw sculptures and a fountain where, you know, people who served in wars and things like this were memorialized in stone. And again, more really important people that aren't famous. They're, they, they, it, it's service. It, it, is a, it does something for everybody else. And that was something that actually my friend Jamie Grace, she said that, you know, and that, that really, that story aligns with what she was trying to communicate to me about what, what art really is about. You know, it's not about you, you or me. And I love that because I have a lineage and I, I know my family history. Probably I'm very lucky that it, it was, it was very well documented. So I, I often wonder how much does that knowledge matter or not, whether or not I knew it. I think it does to a pretty significant degree for myself, but to other people, you know, they don't, <laughs> do people really care? No, they, they want, they care about now. They care about now and forward. Right. Mm. Well, and, and if they and don't, this, they're causing themselves a lot of problems. I mean, <laughs> Exactly. Like I I, I tell people all the time, it's like, you know, anxiety is thinking too much about the future. Depression is thinking too much about the past, you know, to boil it down to very simple parts, you know, like people get sad or regret, ashamed, you know, it's, it's all the past. Those are moments that you can't take back. So why bring yourself there now and, right. and, and spoil the moment you have now to, to make an, a new pattern, set a new pattern. Right. Yeah. That is really well said. And the, the power of our mind over our body versus I talk about in the artist statement, you know, I call it the artist statement. Cause it's like anyone could do, I always believed anyone could do what I'm doing, but that may not be true. It may be that I had to develop a nervous system and a, a discipline to do what I'm doing. And other people have different focus and discipline. So it's a vocation too, but the, the being in the now and making these decisions and being guided by this kind of impulse to create that doesn't make any sense, you know, it's, it, it is already attached to the past and the future at the same time. And so that's why I started feeling like it wasn't, I used my hands, I used my body, but what does it mean, my hands? It was just such a really kind of surreal experience because I was, of course, as the, the mess up actually, the perceived failure actually made me more aware. I don't want to say woke I would say aware about what is happening because I've always been a bit concerned about this you know the way society goes and I do I'm typically of the mind that even though we have all this pain and suffering like you're saying the power of the mind if we get back with our bodies and then kind of orient from that direction uh, from the earth up instead of the mind down because that's, that's essentially would be not mind control, but that's when it comes to conceptual art, I mean, it's digested as an idea in, in your head and then it kind of goes down. So it's a real, it's kind of like someone said it, teach me art. So I'm really 
careful about conceptual art that way because then then it does go into people's bodies and then it kind of hangs out there, right? I don't know if our bodies are like trees or cistern or whatever people have used for metaphors. But it, if it's going to come into their mind and they, if they're going to remember it, then it's going to circulate in the nervous system. So it's, it's a real ethical, you know, art. I guess that's, that's the idea of how art was used as power in political movements as some sort of communication device to align a culture with certain values. So when certain kinds of art are predominant and then other kinds of art, you know, this outsider art and that doesn't fit in here, it's it's completely constructed. Right. And that's the, that's the thing that I feel like really positive about through doing this project is there, there are enough people aware. Or I feel like there's a critical mass forming in a, in a really not so reactionary, revolutionary, violent way, but an actual critical mass of mind forming where people are, they're feeling the power that they already had to speak what they think. So someone could say, well, this is complete bullshit. This is not art. And I would say, okay, that's great. <laughs> and and so we could say, oh, this is brilliant. Or, okay, that's great. Which is really weird because, you know, there's so many no's that happen when creating something. It's not this, it's not this, it's not that. You're making these choices. But at the, at the end of it, you know, what we have here, our reality, is the result of these choices. So I, I started feeling like, you know, you're, the podcast is basically about consciousness, right? I mean, it's about a lot of things, but that's kind of the the main thread here. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, it, it. it's implied in the title for sure. My family thinks I'm crazy, but sometimes I'll say, am I really the crazy one? Aren't they the crazy people? Don't they <laughs> have some things to learn or, or at least isn't the playing field even? I mean, I could admit that... I've advocated my responsibility to participate in society to some degree, and that's made me appear crazy. But that's a consciousness Mm -hmm. choice because I saw from a young age what kind of effects were being pushed and entrained on me by the Mm -hmm. sort of like standard paths that were in front of me to take. I always thought of it as like, well, I'm not going to climb up that ladder with... 30 other people on it and and kick and push and shove my way up the same ladder as everybody else when I can just go and, you know, blaze my own trail or carve my own path out. And, and yeah, that's a conscious decision. And, and it takes being able to explore this world of consciousness from a philosophical viewpoint, open-mindedness. And that's why I really appreciate having conversations with someone like yourself, uh, an artist who, you know, clearly puts a lot of conscious effort into your art. I mean, we've talked about Andy Warhol on the show before, and he's somebody who seems like he's put sort of the opposite intention in his art. Like he kind of, and I'm not an expert on Warhol, but when I look at his art, I sort of think like, oh, well, that's kind of a simple 
that's simple and and i guess maybe the brilliance of that is lost on me in some ways but i do think that that's kind of a part of this concept we mentioned at the beginning which is like analog versus digital and how those two approaches have altered art and art being mm -hmm. sort of like the analogy here for consciousness well, Andy Warhol is an amazing example to bring up, actually, because I used to have the same view, and uh, and I've lived in places where you know simplicity and getting towards an excellence in simplicity is a lot of work. Japan, for example, and I, I wouldn't say simplicity is the right word, but eloquence. There's a there's a there's a cultivated, learned tradition that has been invented upon. And so that is a very different thing than Andy Warhol's work. But when I learned talking about, here I contradict myself with motives and identities and histories, but when I found out that he was, he was nearly killed, that someone, one of his, was she a cohort or colleague, you know, not really colleague, that there was competition amongst artists. She, she thought that he was trying to steal her idea. And she had this kind of pent-up story in her mind about him, which I'm not, I wasn't alive then, so I don't know if it was true. I don't like to invalidate, you know, victim sort of perpetrator type stories. Mm, no, of course. Because I wasn't yeah. there. Right. But she, she tried to kill him. And, and that's the story that I read. And I thought, wow, at what point does someone become so possessed with anger and rage and hate that they tried to take out their colleague because of a story that they may or may not be true, kind of like future predicting in a way. And he, in, in, on a, he, once I learned that story and I looked at his work, I started looking at it as if maybe I was him. And, you know, he painted things of, about probably survival actually so that his visual artwork actually connected with the visceral survival instincts that human beings have because he had his guts you know completely messed up they stitched him and he had trouble digesting and of course that's going to affect your consciousness right what's going to be important to you after you've nearly died or been attacked in that manner it's probably going to be the basic thing. And so he, you know, he made art and he was where he was when he was around the people. So that was a big, I mean, he would have never been Andy Warhol if that, that was the, the question I had to the person. I said, would Andy Warhol have ever been or made the things he did if he hadn't had that experience that was completely out of his control? I mean, when something occurs and there's this, this was a, a heated debate actually recently about the idea that, oh, he might, he maybe had energetically attracted that situation in his life to learn something. And that, that there, that's just explanation that I've heard in so many different contexts. Just has me pause really, really hard stop because what a story about a happening that has Almost no shred of compassion. It's, it's almost a completely arrogant hypothesis that someone would bring that kind of horror upon themselves energetically, right? Or that consciousness works that way. I'm thinking, 
I don't, I don't know if, how could any Warhol be responsible for that woman's behavior? Like in, in the realm of consciousness, it doesn't follow logic. I'm applying logic here. So that's the, I guess the, you know, if we're coming to a consciousness discussion, any Warhol's and the story that I learned around his work is a perfect case example because it's, it's also really hard to talk about these things without signs or figures or things people can relate to. It's, so it's almost as if Andy Warhol's life and this happening and his art is, is an underutilized instrument to talk about these things. And these are conversations that I feel, you know, I have with other artists or they're, they're very rarely what you hear someone talking about, you know, in the grocery store or whatnot, right? And so if they were more part of a common consciousness or shared knowledge set because we have the internet and you can read about that pretty much anything. There's so many different resources, libraries and things. But that just the thinking around it, it would it would have to be uttered, right? Or it would have to be written as it presumably was. But then it could be falsified, right? Right. And when I was reading about this story, I was thinking, well, how do we know it's true? I mean, I can rationally, logically deduce that, you know, maybe he was going to make these types of, because something will happen to the way you perceive depth when you have different, you know, damage to your nervous system. And we know that from science. So it's like, it's it's all embedded in different areas, fields, I guess you could call it. We, we've, you know, we've separated these things by, in society when they're not really separated at all. And I think that's what a lot of the, you know, when someone's calling someone crazy, it's like you're, you're seeing a connection that may or may not have been validated by a group. And that's really it, <laughs> which is kind of, it's a little unnerving at times because it's like, how do you, how do you find the truth then or truth at all? If it's so multifaceted, right. so <laughs> I get why people just say, Oh, well that's crazy. Cause then you don't have to think about it. then. As soon as it's a lot simpler that, that way. Yeah. <laughs> right. So and you said simple art, but it's funny because we are almost, I all the time try to, I mentioned this in the, I think the first part, my friend, borrow his phrase, sneak up on myself. It's like we all we also get entrenched in our own before Google, before the echo chamber of social media. We were already. I can get entrenched in our our our, our linguistic, energetic, neurological, as you call them, patterns, which I I found that as well. And we have, we have way more agency with those than I think, and that's why I mean the critical mass that people, people I feel like are, they're kind of hungry for this. And that's where I feel like art isn't really our savior, but is a profound, profoundly underutilized tool to, you know, discuss these topics. Because everyone, when you say any Warhol, I have like, what, eight different images that flash through my brain immediately. It's right. like that's lit up. <laughs> so 
that that in itself is amazing for anybody to have that kind of impact on consciousness. It's a huge responsibility, really. I don't know if he was thinking about that at the time, but that's that's the kind of end result as I see it anyway. Now, do you think that it's like a sort of unconscious process where he's sort of tapping into the collective consciousness of the moment? Because his work, I'm sure, will be looked at 100, 200 years from now as a learning device for people to understand, like, the mainstream media, pop culture, advertising, like all of these things that became ubiquitous around the early part of his life. And and obviously when he became an artist, it was sort of full swing of like capitalism, commercialism, and, and, you know, a lot of his work deals in that subject, the Campbell soup bottle, this, you know, big Chiquita banana, you know, we got like all of these sort of, odes to like a blend between the artificial and the organic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I tend to agree with that theory because I can't find any alternative evidence against it. <laughs> so that's, I guess where I acquiesce or agree with things is that he, you know, he as a living organism, as a being in his body, he, you know, did he really have this persona identity or he was just so aware of, I don't know, of, yeah, and so he was a channel, he was a conduit. And could anyone else have done it? I don't, it was, it was almost like it was his purpose. That was his role, his service to, to them and to us. And yeah, the future, that's amazing with the, uh, organic and that the artificial because we're right it's we're still there even though it's been a couple few decades gosh 2022 i often forget it's 2022 right now (laughs) how much has changed in 40 years right i mean we're still on a particular trajectory that i i you know I'm kind of glad that things didn't progress faster because the way the the progression, for example, living in, in Norway for a while, you know, it's pretty much a cashless society. And it's interesting because so far, all of the fears around these cultural changes aren't as found as, you know, I haven't seen, you know, people's bank accounts being shut down. You know, the fear around being cashless, for example, and they still have cash, but you know, it's, I wonder how much of the fears that we have about the way things will go are real or not. So I've also lately been using, I guess, kind of counterculture against itself in a way, because it's like when someone says to me, or if I say to anyone else, you know, oh, be careful of this, 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 I'm also putting that energy out there. And what if that never happens for anyone else but me? So it's also, I'm questioning how much of stories or experiences that I believe were real and true to share and tell as well. So (laughs) that has nothing really much to do with Andy Warhol or organic or artificial, but that 
I think people actually are starting to become more aware of what they're saying. Also because we are recording more all the time. There's so much recording happening. I record videos, images, <laughs> audios, you know, to, to play it back. And it's like, it's funny though, because as soon as it's out there, it's out there, whether or not someone hears it or not. We talked about that I think the first time. The, you know, something's already happening because you're already engaged in something happening. So it's, it's a, it's like we're, I don't know. It's, I kind of feel like it's so funny because I grew up in the, you know, in the countryside and I got into all this philosophy and stuff, which gives someone tremendous space to choose different ways of living. And so we have actually, because of all these philosophies and ideas, we do actually have more choices than we might've had in the past because, and so almost everyone's becoming, whether you make art or not art, whatever that means, people are still already being super creative simply by the means that they are living their life. Mm, right. And, and we're, we're, being, we're seeing now we have to be even more creative in a way. It's like as the ask of technology, and my biggest fears around AI or anything like that is that, you know, it will, it will leave people feeling useless, right? <laughs> That's one of the fears, I guess, and that I've had that I've also, I've used that fear to create different artworks as well. So it's like anything can be a tool, actually. Anything. <laughs> and it's, that's the realm of possibility. And so really what people are doing are kind of like sieving and forming. It's like sculpture in a way. I feel like we collectively have the opportunity to kind of re reimagine whatever we want, but it's not, I don't know. It's so funny. I, I was, I guess I would like to ask you if you, if you see a picture, can you picture it in your mind? And I, I don't know where else to call it besides in your mind, but do you, do you visualize in that way? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. When I was making jewelry a lot and I, I did wire wrapping with crystals, I would be struck with like all of a sudden, you know, while driving, I would be struck with like a vision in my mind. And I can visualize creatively. Like if you tell me like picture a turtle standing on top of a Volkswagen, you know, like I can do that. But this was different than that. I mean, because I, I would spend hours at a time creating these pieces of jewelry right and they're very intricate they you know use like feet and feet of wire so it's just like this endless process of turning the wire on itself and then getting it just right and then forcing it against the crystal and then you know wrapping it and securing it so it, it looks good but it's also sturdy and it won't fall apart so it's this sort of tedious but really fun and hands-on process and after i got into it for a few months I'd be driving and I'd be struck with like a pattern, like, oh, put the wire this way and, and fit the wire over this way. And sometimes I would try to write it down, but for the most part, it would be like what you're describing, like a visualization that was like so lucid, I could just see it in my mind, like glowing, you know, whereas 
you know, if you told me like where you are right now, I could probably visualize your surroundings. I don't know if you're walking, but it sort of sounds like when I talk to my yep. friend Mike, he calls he calls me on his phone and we do a podcast, you know, just like this. And he lives right now in Amish country, so like I, for a while I would like visualize what it looked like there as I'm talking to him and then I had the opportunity to go visit him a month ago with my girlfriend we went down to to Lancaster County and and met up with them down there and now when I talk to him on the phone I just picture exactly you know the little neighborhood that we were in right so it's funny how your mind can do that like the difference like if I tried to draw what I thought Mike's surroundings looked like before I had gotten there compared to what I would draw now in hindsight, it might be an interesting comparison. Right. Yeah, no, that would be a really fun project. And that actually reminds me of a project I did when I was at Switzerland on the residency, which I ended up there because I, I, I was lined up to get a, a marketing job at a school and it went through it. Actually, another Rachel, literally another Rachel had interviewed and, Huh. We decided to go with her, and I was really bummed because I was thinking, wow, I would have really liked to do there and live there, and they they felt maybe a better resonance with her for their needs, and I didn't. I just wasn't aligned in, with that energy, so I ended up going to Switzerland for a month, and I made a project about this type of visioning thing. So I, I would meditate intently on the water that was coming because it was spring. It was starting to move through the forest. And, and then I made photographs of it. And then I would make a painting from the memory and a painting from the photograph. And it was always way more alive, the resulted painting. It had way more sort of energy, if I can say like that. It's, it's, it's so hard because it's, it's visual. It's like, how could you, how could anyone say that? But, you know, cons- the, the consensus agreed that, and they didn't know prior to, it was kind of like a, a thought project, right? <laughs> and and I feel that it has more energy. The one, these ones. And I said, well, those are the ones from my memory. And then the ones that were made from an image. <laughs> there's the car going by. The uh, they they had a more flat quality to it, which I thought was really strange. And men and women from all over the world saw these exhibits, and they pretty much all said the same thing. And that was a really interesting experiment. I was also using a washi paper. So it's the the pigment transferred to a back paper. And that was also to see, you know, is it possible to, to kind of get out of being affected by, say you're in an environment and, you know, stuff's going on and you're, maybe getting an image of it, like you're getting an image of me walking on the gravel road. And if I say, here we are, this is like basically the AI dolly machines, right? And you put in these prompts. So I'm walking on a gravel road. There's a cornfield on my right and a bean field on my left. And I'm walking towards the stream. It's like all of those prompts are, you know, they're, they're being referenced now with a machine. You probably heard about, maybe you didn't. Someone sent me the. There was an award, like a first place award given to a composition made by a machine. So it's, these are questions where we're, 
we're we're right here wondering, is it art then when the, the machine makes it? Because it can do a similar thing to what you and I can do when we're making these visions in our mind space. <laughs> I don't know where, it, and that space is somewhere. Maybe we're, I often wonder if it's in our auric fields or how, how or where those imaginary pictures are. We have them. And a machine can generate them from prompts as well. So I guess it's a, a bit of a query on, you know, the simulation. And I, I don't think we live in a simulation personally, but that the way that things look to us on a daily basis is kind of like a, I think that the background probably looks a lot different than the foreground and the foreground would be the cornfields. And, and I, and I have, I'm speaking towards, I guess, things that people who have taken trips, they, they describe, I've never taken one, but I think when I, when I'm looking at the abstractions and where the abstractions, because they were abstract paintings, where they came from, it was looking at water, which is, you know, we wouldn't have anything without water. And it's like, it's, it's very abstract. So abstract art or abstract thinking is something that I'm not completely sure if the artificial intelligence is as capable of. It can take orders, just like, it's almost like our conversation. It's not like we're ordering each other around, but when you say things, it directs my orientations. And when I say things, things probably happen within you. <laughs> that's the magic of language right <laughs> well and it, it, it's fascinating that you bring up the ai as an example because i do use that maybe we mentioned that the first time but i do use that to create the artwork for the show and i did not know that <laughs> yeah t typically you know i would use just pictures of the guests and kind of put a bunch of images together in a sort of messy collage and that was fun. I liked doing that for a while. And then a, a guest told me about this website called Night Cafe. And you could, you know, there's a bunch of different generators like this nowadays, but this one's pretty cool. I like the way it works. And I just punch in a phrase and it spits back an image. And what's interesting is I usually go for, the, I just use the same title. Right. So like whatever the title of the episode is, that is what phrase the AI is getting. So it's kind of unique okay. to the, you know, each episode. And sometimes it's spot on. Sometimes the concepts are a little more abstract and it, it just gives me like a really strange sort of spooky image. Lately, they've gotten a lot better. And it's it's funny because you, you you mentioned like the aspects of of this being like a conversation this software is t technically literally actually <laughs> you know ev evolving every time you punch a phrase into it so there is like right. a, a paranoid side of me that's like oh no i don't want to help train the ai but in the same double-edged sword it's like well what if we live in a society where we're able to train an AI to do most of the things that take up our time and that will free up our resources and time to spend creatively. And then something like this art generator comes in 
and saves us even more time, allowing us to sort of augment what would have taken hours to, to draw by hand. We can now mm -hmm. have, you know, at the click of a button, you know, does that inhibit the creativity of the creator? No, I think it actually adds to the, you know, creative potential it's just about how it's used. If you want to, you know, just be lazy and and put two words in and see what happens, you know, you might not be too happy with your results. But if you play around with it and you fine tune it, you know, you can get some really cool artwork out of this thing. And I mean, some of it looks like it's been made by an actual person at this point. Like at first it wasn't so much, but everything but language language, it can't quite do it makes this weird alien language that looks like a mix between russian and and sanskrit but but yeah it is it is interesting like that this thing has kind of got a mind of its own that's being taught by people who use the website whichever it is you know this one just happens to be uh, night cafe but i guess the ai that they use in the night cafe website is similar to what all the other websites are using like they're using the same code it's it's like a race like whoever gets the most attention they're gonna create the smartest ai right so they're almost like getting they're advertising you to use this free products so it's like what's the you know anytime there's a free product it's like what's the catch here you know well that's yeah. the catch <laughs> That's a pretty interesting catch, too, because, uh, you know, I don't play with these things because I derive so much joy from doing. And not everyone does. There's, there's a huge cultural movement to celebrate not doing, right? I mean, that's mm. what the beginning. I'm going to go see. Was it not Gandhi? The Dalai Lama. The Dalai. So, you know, but meditating is still doing something. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard to not do something, right? I mean, since you're alive. Right. <laughs> it's like, but I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty kinetic, you know, I'm, I move around a lot. Uh, I walk a lot. I dance. I get a lot of something from that. I don't know what it is. I guess the release of energy. <laughs> it's, like, it's like there's so much energy. And not everybody is oriented that way. But so I don't do these things. So it's and it, and when I do 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 have tried it out, I feel like people who don't make art as frequently, so they work in another job, their results tend to for me feel more creative <laughs> than when I input it. And I wonder because they they're not thinking of it. And maybe this is this is a question I had when was it two thousand twelve. Uh, I've I made an installation where I was playing around the idea if there was a death of the artist, like Roland Barthes' death of the author, uh, where we started to understand that we are making up things with the inputs that we receive, just as if the artificial intelligence does the same. It's making up something based on an input. And in terms of mismaking or creating then the input would be really a substantial component to the output and i guess i that was the start of where i wondered what where where are the distinguishing factors in 
a human nervous system ability to access consciousness versus, yeah, the, the machines, which rely on energy, of course, just like human beings do, but a different kind of energy and or different form, rather, not different kind, different form of energy. But uh, would that, would, you know, it's almost like this is going to happen. Like, it's not like faith, though, which is a totally big question that I've had about, you know, the, un- the, sub- the sublime, the subliminal, and how much of what we are not aware of, because I guess, what is, you probably know that, that number better than me, the estimated percentage of things we are not aware of, or the estimated energetic resources that we don't use with our body. Oh. And we're creating a machine, you know, and so we're creating yeah. these things, but we still have not yet maybe even explored our potential. And I guess that's, that's the promise, right? That we're going to have more time because a machine will do something to explore the, what we could do. But I'm not so sure, like you, I'm not so sure that will happen. I mean, I'm really not so sure it will happen. It's like I, I can't remember a phone number anymore because I don't have to. Right. It's like we, the machine also is not going to do anything unless you tell it to. <laughs> it's going to be there. So it's, it's a, for me, it's a question of animus when it comes to this difference in artificial. We call it artificial, but it's then what would real be you know if if our consciousness is also so seemingly artificial or informed then a deeper we actually get to establish that meaning i feel like because it's you know it's usually painted again like and protagonists and antagonists and this in la habib he he has this amazing painting series about this i don't know if it's exactly about this because I didn't know his entire story about creating it. But when I, when I saw his paintings and he's painting sculptures with the shadows on the floor, I immediately went there and he's looking at it from a really formal abstraction and spatial experience kind of way. And I thought, these are brilliant. And I haven't seen anybody stirring in this conversation <laughs> because it's a really hard conversation to have because we're actually in the middle of it, right? Like Andy Warhol was in the middle of that happening. So it's hard to see. It's, it's like, how, how do we get at this to get, I don't know if it's worth trying to get consensus around it, but that consensus tends to naturally form somehow. And I'm, I'm, you know, of course, always wary of consensus myself because that, that can be, that can be a closing down instead of an opening up of choices right <laughs> creativity and yeah i don't know I'm, I'm i'm all the time looking and i guess we look at data a lot now these days right that's our that's our verifying method it's the most valuable thing in the world according to silicon valley <laughs> right <laughs> yeah that's right over the mountain <laughs> and yeah it's is it though i mean because i i have a project that's going to use data because i'm really curious about it it's like when I when I when we're talking or anybody is telling me a story, there's all kinds of nuance in that story that data would never report because it couldn't. 
So my, I, I feel like in the previous conversation, I was getting all excited about, you know, something transmitting or not. But I think that that would be lost if we only look at data. And it's a slower process to, say, for example, go around towns and interview people and talk to them and let them speak because they have their own unique filtering system on and look on things. Mm. that that we we could lose that and i'm i didn't even remember this is also a ridiculous thing about being human that was what i said when i was what 15 my art works about loss that's what i was saying i was like oh my god it sounds so the judgment would be that's so sad maybe but that's what i started realizing i think in the last few years is that is actually a cultural aversion to sadness, grief, loss in in the United States anyway, that is is forming something. And so I wondered as a cultural, I wouldn't say an purposefully culturally antagonistic, but to to question why that is, because the immediate idea when I tell tell someone about that, well why I focus on that because it's it's gone. It's over. It's in the past. It's like, it's just like a shutting a door on an entire realm of consciousness that could feed creativity as well. And not to glamorize melancholy or anything like that, because that's already been a few art movements, <laughs> but that, that would, that, that was something I, I, you know, I kind of set up these what if scenarios and I think that when you're when you're talking about seeing your your your, your jewelry as you're driving, and you just get this vision and this idea that it's actually the types of questions that I ask of I don't know myself, or I just kind of ask. I live with a question and see. It's like so. It's it's something that comes from I wrote. I think I wrote about it in Sublime Timescape series. A mental turbulence, actually. So it's a, it's a, and it's a personal mental turbulence, not like fraught with, oh, I'm gonna, you know, not like that kind of turbulence, but actual kind of churning and rumination of energy that I don't know if a robot would be able to do in the same way. I, and I, I guess I'm gonna have to go interview some people myself to find out <laughs> what they think because it's, I asked a guy, he knows a bunch of people at MIT, and he said, no one wants to talk about it. And these are professionals in the field of artificial intelligence and, you know, gene hacking and other types of things. And I'm thinking, gosh, wouldn't that be the people that would be talking about it? <laughs> Why are they talking about this? Right. So, like, that, that, that makes my heart stop in a way, like, whoa, wait, what? You know, because you and I are talking about it, like, it sounds like you think about these things quite a lot, or do you not? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I do. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> it seems like it. It seems like it. But... to that, but yeah. Yeah. Right. No, of course, I'm sure you. <laughs> There's well, all the fun connections, too. When I agree with your point about the, you know, well, all of what you said, but to highlight one thing, the point you made about the sadness and people's aversion to it, 
It's like an economy mm-hmm. of emotion that we've been put into where like, you know happiness is a commodity yeah. right all these experiences i mean there are whole towns in america that are propped up purely because of some tourist attraction you know what is tourism right. tourism is the the lie that you are only allowed to have that kind of freedom on your holiday on your vacation when you're not working so spend you know <laughs> save up all your money and, and and put your freedom in this like really short time span of a week or two or however long you can get off from work you know and it's like yeah, that's the com- the commodifying of our consciousness, the economy of our emotion, you know, just like, well, we can't, you know, we can't not go and see the world and enjoy things, but it ends up sometimes being more stressful than if you just sort yeah. of, you know, worked it out to where you, you had, you know, a, a free lifestyle, you know, and not just tried to use all your freedom in one s- short spurt. Oh my gosh. Oh, I'm going to have to. I know exactly who to send this, especially this particular part of the episode, to. Um, he's, he's actually studying psychology right now. He'll, it's, it's so funny. I mean, and you, you've never met David, but I went to college with him, and, you know, his, this was like his big thing. You know, he would talk about this all the time. And he's just like, man, don't you want to make something that you really like? love and gives you joy and he's like why would I do that and I was like wow okay mm. <laughs> like totally different orientation he's really embraced I think I mean so he's, he's going to be an amazing psychologist or psychiatrist however which way he wants to go with it because he has a real tolerance so that when you're talking about the emotional economy it's almost like as soon as you said that and I started thinking of my friend and doing all the things that my brain does, I just start thinking, gosh, no wonder there's so much violence. I mean, cause I've, I've been really living with this question for a while. Cause after I landed, which I feel like I kind of got lucky to be able to get the flight and you know, my bag showed up and the flight left. Cause there's been all kinds of trouble with traveling it's like a miracle if it works now and it used to work fine that where oh my brain just totally blanked out <laughs> maybe it's not important but no when i when i landed here and that happened that it uh, that economy that, about violence and and how you could see how yeah, it would but i felt it was like a wall hit me when i landed it was uh-huh. just like like I went through a doorway and I was in, you know, I was in Norway and then I went through a doorway and then suddenly I was here and it was really like not just being on another continent, it was being in another world. Right. And I, cause I've been away for a while. I'm thinking, what in the heck is happening? Cause I keep, I had the um, travel insurance. <laughs> so if something happens to me, you know, I, I don't know what the insurance is actually going to help me with. It's like, you know, a life or death situation. You insurance is I guess that help they help it helps the remaining people. It doesn't help you. <laughs> yeah. and I was getting notices of all these events and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, because I just you know, I was learning language and finding figuring out how to read the news there because that's another thing. With being aware of what's going on, you know, I I can't take it just rote. I have to understand 
why it's being written about in that way. Like I have to do that. So the context, you know, yeah. Yeah, I was just in a different realm. And so when this was happening, I was just like, there's so much violence, there's so much violence. But this is supposed to be, I, it was a real conflicting thing. And it's not just, it is culture shock, reverse culture shock, but it was something else where I was like, there's actually a phenomenon going on here that wasn't going on over there. And I, you know, because it, it was like people said, well, you never really seem happy. And I was like, well, it's weird because, I mean, I probably express more overt joy here because I'm around people that I love, that I, I know very well. And there it was all, you know, very new. And even after seven years, and really bizarre still because I didn't, you know, I still didn't quite fit in either place. But that there was not the same kind of, I did not feel the same type of cultural aversion towards sadness or different emotions like anger or other things as I do when I'm in the States. Hmm. And so, yeah, you kind of have had this question for what, three months now? So you kind of just said it right there with the emotional, can you say that phrase again? That was emotional yeah. economy or. Yeah. The economy oh. of emotion. Economy of emotion, which totally relates to the economy of attention, which you referenced, you mentioned 15 minutes ago or so. Wow. Yeah, wherever you put your mind on, something is coming out of that. Well, and, and, and I think the two are almost one in the same because the whole, you know, implication of attention is that you're getting a reaction out of somebody or you're subduing their will, right? Because, you know, they wouldn't need to use subversive marketing tactics if what they were offering was in accordance with our free will. The truth is we could live in an hmm. abundance economy where resources aren't scarce and resources aren't commodified and people are able to trade and barter. And, you know, there's still specialists, there's still trades, there's still people to, you know, work and do normal jobs. But for the most part, you know, this physical entrainment that we have in neighborhoods surrounded you know, around one or two or three supermarkets, and that is where everybody goes to get their food. I mean, this is a very unhealthy, unnatural situation, and it took people getting coached into it by, well, it's more convenient to microwave your food, and look at the, the Jetsons and this vision of the future. Don't be silly. Like, get on board. We're all flying to the future together. And really, it just... <laughs> You know, we flew towards <laughs> fat, ill, you know, and all yeah. these other maladies that people are, are suffering from, you know, it's, right. it's, it's definitely, you know, in one turn, they're creating a self-fulfilling prophecy by fixing your attention on a certain thing that's not good for you. And then in the other mm -hmm. turn, you know, they're keeping you unaware of this duping process this hoodwink they're, they're keeping you ignorant of it because they're eliciting your emotion all the time which you know whether it's sexual or or violent or you know whichever extreme you know it, it tends to be something that takes you 
off center rather than grounds you, right? Because there are healthy expressions of anger in self-defense mm-hmm. or motivation. There are healthy expressions of sexuality, obviously, but then there's sure. the, the inverse of those. And I think what we see in our media, the me, the mainstream media is, a, you know, incentivizing of the extreme rather than the grounded. Oh, that is, I really like how you said grounded. I've been in a, a training course and it's all, it has been completely focused on grounding. And it's funny because it often seems like when I'm going around now and trying to figure out how to do what I'm going to do now, the, the people often seem like they're in another, like a floated off. And so you said being on a ship to the future. It feels like that. Some people are just like not here in a way. And the people say zombies and other words like that. I don't feel like people are zombies. I, I, I feel like they're almost hovering. Like they're not completely connected to what's going on here. And so there's all this kind of like <laughs> disconnected feeling in a way that I'm often, you know, curious what the remedy could be. And maybe it is simply grounding, like something to do with coming fully back into your body and being with it instead of, I think that's what I've, I've often wondered when you're speaking, I always keep thinking about this axiom. One of my friends set up with the ideal real conflict. And so this let's go to the future was an ideal was an idea. That's why I feel so conflicted sometimes about doing ideas for art or using ideas or even thinking. So the reaction of that, the maybe unhealthy, ungrounded reaction of that, which I've been witnessing a lot, is of course this kind of celebration of, you know, untrained art, right? Do whatever you want and everything's art. That that phrase is out there and people say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because when I would look at something and I would say, no, that's not art for me. I just, it's like, and they're like, oh, you're so negative. And I was like, am I am I am I terrible and then it was I'm laughing now but I I really wonder gosh maybe I'm really terrible because I'm asking this question and I thought wow that's dangerous if we can't ask a question or take a different position without someone feeling like wow we can't even talk to you anymore that is a real type of extreme yeah and that actually has happened many times in the last five years. And so the ideal reality conflict, my friend would talk about all the time. I was thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean? But when you're talking, I just realized it creates internal tension for people. It's stress. It's actually like manufactured stress, not only consent, but actual stress, which is, not really. I mean, for me, when I'm looking around here, I'm in, I'm in a pretty, there's not a lot of stressors for me, at least not overt. You know, there's maybe chemicals on the crops or bugs, but it's not like I'm not being come at by other people, you know? So right, you're not dodging homeless people in New York city. Right. No, which is, again, it's almost like, that's one of the big questions that I feel like the politicians are always talking about, but and promise to solve and never really do. It's like, well, that's kind of like it's the popping out of a different elemental or fundamental force that 
we can't just resolve like I could just stand down the epoxy and pour the thing on my art project. Like that was an easier task. Doing this kind of reorganizing of human life has a lot of ethics involved in it, but that a lot of those things may resolve. It's kind of like trying to figure out how to make it rain somewhere, right? You have a drought, it's going to keep being drought. The drought's going to get more drought because of drought, you know, so the homeless thing is also rising. And it, I often wonder if it is a consciousness type of crisis. Because it's like I've, I've talked with some people and there's a real giving up in a way. Usually it seems like a real giving up happening. And you mean- I mean, what can we... Yeah, within the, the person that is homeless. Saying, yeah, what's the point? You know, it's kind of this nihilism which funny enough uh, I think it was this week or last week Michael Schellenberger's recent uh, post about um, climate nihilism or something like that it was kind of a can't remember the headline exactly but it was really interesting and he's basically positing that the people who are saying this isn't sustainable this isn't sustainable have actually created more unsustainable solutions because they already are seeing things as if they were unsustainable. Mm. Well, it's like <laughs> it's like being in a house fire and like freaking out frantically, you know, turning like the sink on or putting a, a cup of water from the toilet and trying to put the fire out. You know, it's like, no, you, you're you're past the point of that being a solution, you know, and, and I'm, right. that might not be the best analogy because I don't think either of us believe that our earth is a burning building you know it's far from that at this point i think we've you know we've farly over or or, you know vastly overestimated how much we impact the earth i think really what it is is it's it's misappropriated attention and resources and you know Mm -hmm. my suspicious conspiratorial mind makes me think well maybe these corporate powers they know that they're saving money, getting away with polluting, getting away with the, the loopholes that different nations' laws offer them. So maybe to derail any actual change, they pay for these and sponsor these, you know, sort of childish thinking people to, yeah, you know, misappropriate the attention and tell people it's it's cow farts and, and, and you know... <laughs> car carburetors because all right we're going to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor smile brilliant and tell you about a brand new offer right here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast that you might need to take advantage of because what you don't know is that every night you're at risk of cracking your enamel and once you lose it it's gone it does not grow back every night stress causes us to grind and clench our teeth at night if you're like me a little bit stressed out a night Guard could be the perfect solution to preserve your dental health. Clinching and grinding results in worn down tooth enamel, cracked teeth, chipped teeth, which can lead to infection. Not to mention sensitivity. So say goodbye to ice cream in the summer and hot soup in the winter. Your teeth are going to be too sensitive. So get ahead of that right now with Smile Brilliance offer 
exclusively for My Family Thinks I'm Crazy listeners. Use the promo code CRAZY, all capital letters, and you will get custom night guard from Smile Brilliant as low as $45 per guard. And reorders are as low as $25 per guard. Okay, you'll get 20% off. And of course, they've got whitening trays, whitening gels, electric toothbrushes, water flossers, and so much more. Smile Brilliant is owned and operated by dental professionals with over 30 years of experience. And the best part is everything is done online and delivered straight to your door. So no costly trips to the dentist. Thanks, Smile Brilliant. So use the promo code crazy and take back your dental health today. Let's get back to this interview tell people it's it's cow farts and 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 you know <laughs> car carburetors because you know logically if you look at both of those it doesn't add up i mean cows for one no. i mean in ancient times they would use cows as a fuel source they were smart enough to know that they could actually keep cows under a certain type of building structure and funnel the methane from them and use it as a fuel source to heat them their buildings ah, i mean this is really, yeah jeffrey drum he's been on the show he, he mentioned this theory and it makes a lot of sense you know and you know we see what that does manure does for f fertilizer it's it's a no-brainer yeah. that these creatures are are adding to this renewable nature of our planet and human beings sort of I don't know, like we, we need to be in symbiosis with that, but it, it feels like we've been manipulated away from understanding symbiosis. And that's why we're trying to deal with it in this like physical way when really it's an, it's a energetic problem that needs to be solved, not a physical one. Cause those corporations are polluting and they're, mm -hmm. you know, they don't realize that they're hurting themselves because their, their energy is not in the right place. Their, their mind is thinking, you know, oh, this is just a, a resource that we could tap, you know, all we want. Or maybe not. Maybe wow. they know it's endless and, and they just want us thinking there's scarcity so we don't, you know, question their price, their, their budget, you know, and their <laughs> prices. Yeah, that's a really good question that I've wondered about that this exact line of suspicious inquiry. Yeah, I would say, you know, it's funny, you would call it suspicious inquiry. I, I, I thought about it more as a curiosity. I'm curious, you know, what's really going on? Because it's really hard to find out what's really going on, actually. That's, that's what I found. I actually have to go someplace and meet somebody who's doing the thing who will talk to me and tell me the things that they aren't supposed to tell people about. And they'll tell me because I'm not going to, I'm not a journalist. I'm not going to, I'm not going to reveal them or get them into trouble because they're sharing also per, perhaps impartial information as well. It's like, I really feel for journalists actually, because it's, it's got to be really hard to get anyone to be straight with you. Yeah. Because, you either have to be um, a really good liar or the worst person to get to, to hear about stuff, you know, like, cause yeah, who's going to tell a journalist anything. Right. Yeah. That's, so I guess I've, I've been privileged to learn things that I was like, wait, what? And then if I go digging and, and there's texts available and research available, and a lot of the answers are actually unknown because we're, we're in the process of doing things that, <laughs> I think it was the subject about yeah, vaccination and you know how, how black and white it was made. 
recently. And that construct is not, when you talk to someone who does the research, they're just like, yeah, it's, you know, there's an annihilation of nuance, loads of nuances that's just like, you know, it's someone's job for the next 20 to 50 years to try to find an answer on. So that <laughs> the reality of how fast we're going to launch into the future, it's like, in, in symbiosis and thinking and things with time, it's like, things aren't moving at the same rate as they're sort of being created for us to perceive. They're, they're actually going at a, maybe, again, maybe things are more sustainable than we realize, but we, we don't know unless we know. And that, that knowledge is the people that I meet. It's, it's often inconclusive. It's like we're we're a living experiment on all regards. I know the U.S. at least in, from the European perspective is like, oh, it's a failed experiment. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that. <laughs> and I was like, wow. Well, that's because if it's, it's if it's a failed experiment, we would have a completely I don't know what kind of economy we would have. But I think we are we were going towards that type of reality, and I already feel like in the last couple of years even though things are really chaotic right now that we're there's enough people that are kind of going wait a second and they're finding i guess if you could call it true freedom which is not a, a violent freedom or an aggressive freedom or an overthrowing freedom it's an actual personal freedom that doesn't make me feel like it's a failed experiment it's like the experiment's ongoing it's called life <laughs> so it's a that that's that story works if you have specific parameters to evaluate what's going on or not. And that's what I felt like was real alluring. And I fell for it. I mean, I talk about being duped. I have completely been duped so many times in my life. Just honestly. And he was, oh, you're a fool or whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay, that's fine. Isn't it? Wouldn't it be better to say the truth than to pretend that I wasn't, you know, or, mm. or expect and the and truth I, rather than expect living in a world of lies. I mean, I, and I expected yeah. the truth. <laughs> I really did. And I still do, except for now, I think I have a little bit better of like a, a felt sense of, ah, seems a little, and then also something is so simple that my mother used to always say is, we'll see, which is real passive in a way, but it's, it's also very functional. And, and I'm not saying we'll see about, you know, toxic groundwater because we know there are certain things that we do know that people let happen. Like you said, you know, if we, and they get away with it. And that is in terms of a sick society or whatever, that's maddening. It's absolutely a healthy anger, I feel like, that is worth exploring. And it doesn't have to be, you know, bang, bang. It can be actually people saying, <laughs> it's a really small, I love your burning building uh, example, by the way, because it's really concrete. You know, people can relate to that really easily. And But the, the thing that we could explore now is, like the experience I had this morning with UBS where, you know, the woman, she had a little trouble tearing off the 
barcode and she said, oh, I'm going to have to reprint that, but you can go and I'll do that later. And I said, but I won't have the right tracking number. So it was kind of like, it, it would just be wishing it well into the universe. It's like, I feel like that's what people are doing right now is saying, oh, okay, it's out of my control or whatever, but actually can do a lot. And it, it doesn't have to be anything more simple than saying, no, I'll wait. I'll wait until you have an answer instead of jumping to the answer now. And I think that's what's been happening. It's like where there's this sureness, which I don't know where it comes from. And I wish I could be more sure of things all the time, but I, I'm not, I really, I think a different podcast earlier, you asked if I'd done the podcast before I have done a few, the, the, the entire conversation one hour was about doubt and how it can be. <laughs> it, it, and it's weird because a lot of people are uncomfortable with doubt, but wouldn't be being really sure all the time also be a lie talking about expecting the truth. So if I'm expecting the truth and I don't change that orientation, I'm going to have to live with elements of doubt. And the speculation, which I've spent a lot of time on myself too, I realized I'm not a journalist. And it's really fun, though, to engage in speculation every now and then, but it is a use of resources. And I, I guess what I'm getting to about things happening with the environment or anything is like, People can demand, you know, it's like you can actually make a demand instead of a presupposition of, well, that's how this will work because that's how it's supposed to work. And I've caught myself doing that all the time. Whereas there's errors and the errors are opportunities. That's how I felt more and more lately. Hmm. Well, uh, absolutely. Yeah. I love that point. And I think, you know, on the point of doubt, we have so many people who doubt what we talk about on this show. If you're a listener and your family thinks you're crazy, maybe it's because you heard something interesting on this show and you went and told them about it. And what's their first reaction? Doubt, right? So, you know, we we have to look at that and ask why. Well, kind of goes back to that economy of emotion, right? We have this, this comfort level that, well, everything I've done up until this point in my life has worked. I feel comfortable. So if I accept the truth that maybe 9-11 could have been perpetrated by people in our own government, well, you know, I'm not going to accept that because that doesn't feel comfortable. That's not the world that I feel safe in. So they'll refuse to look at evidence in that, you know, and they might not even be as consciously walking through it the way I am. It's just more like a, a visceral reaction, like, oh, no, you know, and, and quickly it becomes like, you know, territorial, like you're you're impeding on their conscious territory. Like, no, I'm not going to be pulled over into conspiracy land with you. I'm comfortable here. Right. And well, it's funny whether or not the conspiracy is true. We have physical if you talk about data we have physical records we have people who are there we have visual records where you know anytime i've been you know in a conversation with somebody where i work or relationship or whatever and there's layers of incongruence 
And I feel like there's a threshold for incongruence that, you know, I can play, I can work with doubt and I can use it as a tool, but at a certain point of incongruence, there is a lie. And I'm not saying the person's even lying on purpose, but that truth has always had this very grounding, like kind of almost like slam you in your seat. And so when this evidence was presented to me, for example, I didn't just throw it back in the lap of someone else. I was like, I actually was kind of floored in a way. Or, and that's how I feel usually with any kind of new idea. Probably how many times you go back to how many times do I say, Whoa, (laughs) um, you know, my eyes, you can't see, but the eyes get huge. And I'm just like, you know, because that was outside of my realm of possibility, but it doesn't mean that it didn't happen. So there's all kinds of stories that, you know, when people don't believe what happened, they could have fabricated something. It could have been cherry picked and constructed a story. And that's essentially what a, a theory is, right? And especially a conspiracy theory, which if you read history, which I'm sure you do, I, I read history. People have been planning to make, you know, it's like, well, this government planned to overthrow that government at this date, at that time with these people and those means. It's like, people did that. So conspiracy theory in the actual meaning of it, its attitude today is that it's worthless and, oh, be so careful, conspiracy theory, and be fearful of it, but is actually the, the, the meaning without any emotional charge is basically what creates history. It's like, well, that event happened because those people did that and those people reacted to that. And they had, it's like a chessboard. I just think of the the Queen's Gambit that that show was really brilliant in terms of orientations about life too and and seeing maneuvers and moves. So why do people have this bad vibe or bad attitude about a conspiracy theory when there might be like a journalist is going to try to solve a crime, for example? And you, that's what they have to do. They have to be critically thinking. Like, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with critical thinking? Mm, right. <laughs> like, I and, and, and everybody complains about a lack of critical thinking or a lack of common sense, but it's like, but it's, it's a behavior that you engage in or you don't. Well, and that's, and, the, that's the comfort that consensus reality breeds in us, isn't it? I mean. <clears throat> It's so funny because of course I like comfort. I love creature comforts. I like a soft sweater. I don't want to feel hungry too much. You know, it's like, com- but comfort is a real, I mean, I forget who said it. It's very famous. Comfort is, is, is the ticket to complacency. And yeah, so of course it's been a tool to get people to acquiesce to a storyline, whatever story it was. And when I have studied the history of wars and things like that, it's like, there really has never been that clear of a victor to me. You know, it's like, it's, it's a, then it's a war about your values or your, or what that, what you feel that the society should look like. Hmm. And so when people, you know, having, 
clean water, <laughs> shelter, you know, it's like, well, what kind of reality do you want to live in? You know, do you want to live in a reality where someone else decides what is enough for you? And to, and to what extent? I think we really do need to be governed by nature more and more. The symbiosis, and everyone agrees. So it doesn't seem like it would be that hard to do that. And we don't even maybe need to invent that many new tools or resources. <laughs> like you're saying, maybe we have the answers in the past, like the scalp marks. The... <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm seeing cows when I'm walking out here too, and they're, you know, they're looking at they're looking at me. You know, or like the praying mantis today, we were out in the in the prairie looking at the the biggest tree in Illinois, and I there was a praying mantis that was flying through, and, uh, and he's checking us out, you know? Just being curious, because that's what sentient, I guess, or conscious beings do. They, they're curious. It, and everything is permitted in this realm, as far as I can tell. So if we don't like something, we can, we can do something about it, but I'm not sure that we're going about it in the right way because of what you're talking about, the consensus, the comfort around the stories that are. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I, in California, I guess they're going to try to ban the sale of, or I guess they did pass that thing, banning the sale of gas car. I'm thinking, okay, you know, I'm not an expert in fuel consumption and resource there at all, but I'm pretty sure I remember reading when I was in middle school maybe that really high mileage cars we already had the ability to manufacture them but we weren't oh, yeah. kind of like yeah my parents had to get in a fridge I had one for seven years the other one that they had before you know when I was a kid lasted I guess they sold it they think it's probably still running it takes a lot of power but it, it was like you know this, what is it called planned obsolescence yeah it's that's gotten worse but we could change that too. We could, then we're just going to go forward and create all this waste. I don't even know if we have a consumer society as much as a wasteful society, which I guess is what people say is the, you know, is the partner of consumption is waste. But on a, in a more grounded view of things, it's like, well, people have to eat. People need clean water. We, there are certain things that we do need and to, to live. I don't, I don't think we're going to live on air yet. You know, <laughs> that's like, if you take an idea to it, it's extreme. That's where I usually, that's why I'm laughing so much all the time. That's where I, I guess that's what's allowed me when, when sometimes people meet me, just say, gosh, you're an artist. You usually, you should have crazier ideas but you, you make too much sense. And I said, but if you, if you just take an idea, just go ahead. You don't even have to actually do it. You can imagine, it's like you can imagine your, your jewelry that you're making. And when you take the idea and you imagine where it goes, like where, where is that going to evolve to? And you start to understand some of your ideas yourself. Maybe they aren't that great. <laughs> like, that was a, it's so funny, it's a factor. So some of our ideas are just not good ideas either, you know? They're, that's why I made the, the wood phone block. It's like, 
how many people do I need to speak to in a day? How many emails do I have to write? You know, we're all CEOs of our lives now, (laughs) which is, we always were, but, you know, in terms of being free to choose the life you want to live, which I love the way you you said that. People are finding that out. Hey, I can do this differently. These systems are failing also at the same time. And everybody's thinking, oh, yeah, it's a failed experiment. Well, what if it's not? What if this is a cycle of, I don't know, evolution or something that's happening? Like, what if, what if the world isn't on fire, you know? Even though it has been on fire. But I don't know. I just, that's been my question since I was a kid. I mean, really little, too. The... You know, the, the, the climate crisis has been alive my entire life. And I'm walking the same way, and things have changed. I'll give, I'll, I will concede that, but I'm like, it's not like, ah, panic, save the world tomorrow. And I feel like that's the message that, that I've received my whole life. And I'm like, but, you know, I, I'm okay. You seem okay. Is it horrible? It's horrible for some people in some places. I think that's the, the great tragedy of if I if I expose my own guilt of, around the culture in which I'm raised. It's like I'm, I'm aware of the the suffering that has been endured by other people that I'll never meet. Right. That I and that's where if you talk about manufacturing emotional. How how much of that can I know is true or not without ever going there? I don't, well, that, that is something that's that, the that's the like that's the catch twenty two of it. It's people are so wrapped up in these artificially created narratives, these antagonizing narratives, which is a phrase you use that I really liked. Mm-hmm that they don't see the world for what it is, right? It's like what you said before, ideal, real, and then conflict. And and people have this ideal that's been manipulated so that they don't have an actual ideal to strive for. And then they, they sort of, you know, suppress the real because they're trying to avoid the conflict that has been ingrained into their ideal in the first place. Cause that's a part of the illusion is that, oh, we're temporary beings in this very temporary place that happened accidentally and don't have faith in a creator because it was all just sort of a flash in a pan and, you know, this only could happen <laughs> here. And, you know, if there are other beings in other places, they have, they're nothing like us. And, you know, all of these ideas that just come out of nowhere, but Darwinism, which is now pretty much shown to be kind of false and led science astray for a long time. It seems, right. it seems that symbiosis is the actual, you know, really the driving force of evolution. So you know, is that a part of it too? Like this scarcity versus abundance, you know, competition versus plenty. Like we have this competitive thing ingrained into us where it's like, oh, well, you know, who cares about those people in the third world countries? They're just not succeeding as much as we are. 
you know, like right. They, oh man, like they they they're just they just don't have it figured out. Those silly people, like haha, they live on the mud. You know, they their feet are dirty, and it's like, yeah, well, you know, you with your shoes on are disconnecting yourself from your energy that's coming from the earth, giving yourself possibly like skeletal issues later in life. You know, people walking with canes happening, you know, 20, 30 years before they should need a cane, you know, that kind of thing. Right. So there, there is like this hypocritical thing going on that I, I think it's just deeply ingrained in us. And it's a part of the consensus, you know, culture. Huh. Yeah, that. I don't know. Maybe I did I lose you? I don't know. Maybe that no, was <laughs> not at all. I just I just again with when I hear something that feels true, I just feel it, it's a again with catch twenty twos, I feel comforted by things that feel grounding, actually. And maybe I'm using the word true too too excessively, but when I when I hear what you're saying and it feels true whatever that means, that's, that's a very almost subjective experience, but I, I don't feel subjugated. I don't feel like I'm a subject of, I guess that's one of the things that I'm talking about weirdness. I think that was where a different conversation left off earlier this week. You know, people just said, you're, you're real weird, you know? And I was like, well, okay. But I, I just, because I've been learning to not react, more and more because I, I had to, because I noticed that if I reacted to things, especially immediately, which is another funny thing, because, you know, we're in this format to converse. But when you, when you say something, it comes into me, and especially if it, because you, you say things in ways that I've never heard before, which is great. In my, my view of something, when it starts feeling like a predictable, conversation I've, I've noticed that a few times even when I'm saying something or when we're talking about a subject I'm like there's a tendency that I'll have to fall into a conversation pattern and I'm actively trying not to do that and that that the ask for people to not fall into consensus it actually isn't a huge ask but it can feel like it to some people because I actually have to digest what you're saying. And I may not have an answer right away. It's kind of like, hmm, I have to get back to you on that, which I guess is why we're, you know, we're talking again in terms of conversing and talking about shoes. <laughs> I mean, like, that word converse was co-opted to, to be used as a brand. Like, I don't know if I'd call that sick. I would call that a form of creativity. That again, if we're going to critique things, but it's not to be mean or yeah, fall into kind of well, this is the mainstream and that's the alternative stream or this or that or this. I don't want to point that way. It's just to say, well, what's it doing? How's it functioning? So you can get some space around it to make new decisions about it. And yeah, I mean, <laughs> converse conversation with shoes. It's like, well, that's pretty nonsensical. So if you think about Andy Warhol's art or like there, there was, there, there were a lot of nonsensical aspects about the world or this experiment as people sometimes call 
a failed experiment. And I'm thinking, I'm not sure it was so failed because I think a lot of people have actually learned a lot. And people are more curious now. Especially a lot a lot of my friends are older. They're still retired now because they can. I'm thinking, gosh, it'd be nice if I'll ever be able to retire. Actually, because I wouldn't retire anyway. I always have something that I want to do. But, you know, so I get to talk to them a lot. And it's really funny because, you know, they're, they're the they're the world that I was given and they're off they're starting to they're actually way more open and flexible than I think that a lot of people have maybe not realized and then I don't know if I mentioned in the last podcast in Denmark you have this library where you can rent a person I think that's brilliant because um kind of a lot of assumptions I think that get made because of being you know here I am, I read this news, I'm by myself, I'm, it's me and me, and me and me and me, you know, the narcissistic culture, it's like, the best thing to remedy that would be to convert, to get input that I could never generate myself because I'm not you. We have a real, the training that I did, they said, you know, you, you, and this is a story, I'm always very careful with, especially psychic trainings, you know, any kind of theories, they're all, they're all fine. They're all, I accept all, how far out, how far low, wherever the ideas go. I accept that all, but that gives me more creative agency to choose. And then I also feel like I get more play out of it, more playfulness. And, and that's because things are really serious. Like the tone is really serious. Which isn't bad, but it's really good. I feel like to do serious things with levity, to so that they don't get locked down. And I think that was one of the, you know, we had this locked down, and when you have a locked down uh, environment, it, it grows certain kinds of things. So you, you keep saying symbiosis, and I can't help but always think of ecological terms. So if things are locked down, you know, you, you get moss, you get mold, you get different kinds of growth. And if we are creating, you know, which we are all the time, well, then what kind of growth would we want? I, it's a, that's one of the, in talking about vision, it's like, how many people, this is a question I've been posing to a lot of people, like, what is your vision of the future? And you described in very clear ways. and. So those are actions that human beings can organize around, actually. And not everyone agrees either, but that's how, it's almost like I feel like we're at this <laughs> cultural rebirthing type of, where we're relearning and we're recovering and we're reexamining. And there was a while it was kind of divisive and a, that, that still exists. I can see that happening. We talked about noise earlier. There's still lots of noise, but for any, it's like, it's, it's, a, it's an open door for anybody who wants to, to, to live another way. It's an open door. It, it, yeah, we're not a law club here, right? <laughs> this is, this is free, flo- free flowing thought. Mm. Well, and that's There's, the, that's the beauty of, 
of you know that dirty word you mentioned before you you don't quite use for yourself woke right waking up right they've sort of weaponized that term against us but that's what's happening to a lot of people is waking up to this you know waking up to the idea that oh okay i can govern myself i can take back my autonomy i can create a life that i want to live and you know as an artist i think you you live and breathe that it's a part of what you do and and a lot of people you know i hear from the response with this podcast they're working their job and they get a lot of relief even if they can't do the same thing that i'm doing they gotta get a lot of relief you know knowing that that option is out there and, and maybe you know it's inspiring them to create their plan towards being free and, and autonomous and, and creative, really. I mean, it's opportunity to be creative and it kind of goes back to that concept before of like, well, are we heading towards a technological future where, you know, we'll have more access to the creative side of ourselves or not? And I think if we go with love first instead of fear first, we're going to find that, you know, it's inevitable. It's, it's why they're, pushing us to the consensus of fear and nihilism, climate nihilism, but also societal nihilism. I mean, that's why zombie movies are so popular, right? Because the zombies are not, they're not actual monsters. They're like us. They're, they're, the, they're what happens to us when we, you know, lose track of our own soul and our free will. We become zombies. I love that you have used these words like soul or creator. God, this is a, this has come up. It, it was taboo for a while. It's like you can't use those words. And I was like, what? You know, why not? Because it's, what? Because it's my relationship with creation. It's your relationship with creation, and we can we can actually pick and choose our influence on our relationship to what that means. But we have. It's like we. And you say waking up, it, it is true. I, I've been waking up in the morning feeling like, you know, what the heck was that all about? So even I, who was embedded in creating an art, I could also get lulled into sleep in a way where I was like, I was, I was, I was attuned. I wouldn't say I was asleep. I was simply attuned to a different frequency that did have things like bad health, that did have things like, being a victim and I was not identifying as a victim myself. I was like, no, I refuse. I won't be a victim. But things were happening that were like, Oh, the dog came and attacked me or this happened. And it's like, you know, it's kind of like the car, the car door just kept getting more dings. And it's like, well, how do I, how do I create, create out of that, that rut? And I think that's what the questions that you're asking, they, they open up, you know, like you said, people just knowing you exist. When I, I, I actually say that phrase to people a lot, I'm just so comforted knowing that you exist and not comforted as in asleep, but just that there's some kind of interdependency that we have with our beings and our bodies that, yeah, so that we don't feel alone. Like, not that aloneness is bad, but you know, if that goes into imbalance, like you talked about anger being healthier and the else being healthy, healthier and balanced. 
when that's out of balance, you know, it's, it's, the, it's that's a really destructive pattern cycle that is, you know, you got to change that pattern. And that's the, that's the, I think our, our, that's our artistry. That's our personal connection. With it. So it's, it's, it's almost like I can't call on someone to, Hey, you know, now we're going to do this with society, which is essentially what I feel like politicians do. It's like, okay, well now we're doing this. Okay. Now we're not selling this. And now we're doing this. It's like these, these really gross laws that get like blanketed over people's lives. And I'm just like, <laughs> I'm not encouraging lawlessness, but you know, you can, people actually still do whatever they want. It is laws though that do decide what is too far. They decide certain lines. And those lines, I think we, as people, we can do, we can actually, we, our vote does count. I think that's been one of the interesting things too, in terms of cultural nihilism and things like that, is that we, we can actually do something about it. But if, as long as you're silent, nothing's going to change. And as long as, yeah, we're unhappy, we, we only have our own hands to look at. And so I get why people get, you know, they want to empower people or motivate them to vote or whatever. But I feel like the creation, this has also been the experience at Artistic Residency too. When everybody is willing and they show up willing, not through obligation or drudgery, the energy is also profoundly different. It's like, I don't know, if you didn't really want to talk to me today, for example, it would be a different day than coming willing. So the will itself is, is a pretty profound energy. And that's why I guess I feel pretty positive because I know enough people that other people say, well, I, I don't know those people. And so they have this nihilistic energy in their bodies, which I can, I can feel it like a force field coming out of them. And I'm like, whoa, you know, it, it, it's rattling. And it's not the same as grief or sadness, which is very honest, I feel like, and open. But this nihilism is like, you know, when someone gets really hard and walls themselves off and there's a fortressing thing happening. And that that's, yeah, with, we call it mental illness, which I, I, I wonder when we're, when we're going to start calling it something else because it's, it's an energetic resonance that I think people tune into that isn't just like, oh, you're going to change the channel and miraculously be healed, but you could. I'm not to say that they couldn't, but I don't, when it comes to these mind-body questions or social questions, or they're all essentially creative questions. And it's not like, okay, I decided to be happy today and I was suddenly happy or I decided to be sad today and I was sad. It's like we have this internal landscape. You know, this is probably from internal art studies. We, ha we, can, we can actually cultivate our own inner terrain just like we cultivate the field out there. And a cultivated inner terrain is going to be a very different terrain than one that's just kind of drawn or painted on too it, it may it may have a more this is my big question around the machines too it's like people can actually become different people 
I have seen it myself and in others, either their form will change or their, their whole energy, their quality of life and my experience of it will change. And they will tell me that too. So it's like, I think that's the transformation people are really, really interested in as well. But it's, um, it's, <laughs> it comes from an individual will. It's like, I can't come in and tell people this is how it's going to be now. And that's what I think is cool about your, your podcast. Cause it, it, it's more of an invitation instead of a command, which might be the major cultural shift with, regards to the mind or spirit which is instead of following a commandment and doing as you're told you're doing it you're doing as you will yourself to do and there's there are huge elements of trust in that i'm going to trust you that your will is not to annihilate me for example you know (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) so it's that's where I guess I feel that a lot of people say, oh, your art's spiritual or whatever. And I was like, oh, that's funny. Because I didn't think of it as spiritual at all. I was thinking about things really kind of scientifically or kind of playfully child curiosity all the time. And I think it's always about something weird or something funny or something that I'm trying to understand. And people will say, but it's real spiritual. And I was like, okay. (laughs) But I don't, you know, when it comes to the spirit, uh, you know, I, that, those are, that's, that's what made me realize, I guess, what was so exciting also about art is it's not like church. I'm not commanding someone to, to view my art, but it's there if they want to see it, you know, and they, they're engaging in that, just like they're engaging in listening to a music. And so they get to, we talked about cultural experiences and that, certain cultural experiences are more readily available because they're actually being like bought that way. But we're seeing, we're really seeing a crumbling of that during, like, would it be because of the viral outbreak or whatever that was? I don't know, but it's, I almost feel like the in, impulse, anytime there's political or social situation where there's an impulse to control, it almost always seems to backfire lately. <laughs> like I don't like oh that, that's kind of cool that it didn't work out. <laughs> mm. So that that leads me to to have faith, not a belief, but faith in some kind of higher power that I can't even conceive of because it's just something I've witnessed over and over in my life. Like the illusion of control, the illusion of a plan going a certain way or and how ridiculously painful I can make that for myself and others by being attached to it. (laughs) (laughs) Talking about my family thinks I'm crazy. I, there's so many times I actually feel like I'm cracking up. (laughs) And that's probably one of the healthiest things. I, I don't, know if that's true or not is, is laughing because you're oh gosh this is totally a random in, input here now coming back to the immune system the the diaphragm muscle having so much to do with the 
immune system. And that's something that was trained in yoga and is actually maps and science. And that's a, a mind-body connection right there is the diaphragm, which is your actual connection to, to life. And so laughing would strengthen that, right? right. <laughs> like, yeah. So a stronger immune system is as simple as laughing more. Or even crying. I, I mean, there's so many times I've gotten a, a, a stomach cramp because I was crying so hard. You know, I it's like if, if we don't saw ourselves off, if we don't try to control ourselves so intensely or whatever, maybe everything will just kind of work itself out. It's like having faith in life itself. <laughs> yeah, seems strange, huh? <laughs> Is that crazy? I know it's like I'm saying that. I'm like, gosh, you know, there was actually a time, and this is what's really cool about talking to people, especially people like you who are, you know, focused on this. It's like that used to feel really crazy to say, but today it doesn't feel as crazy for some reason. I don't know how it feels for you. I know we have that kind of like little, like there was an energy of like, oh yeah, <laughs> like it's like a little bit of a cynical joke, right? Yeah, no, for sure. Well, and I, I think, yeah, a lot of people have taken the most important things for, for granted. And, mm. you know, that's a very blanket statement. And I think it's important if you're out there thinking your family thinks you're crazy, you know, to realize yourself in them too and see that, you, no. know, you know, maybe maybe they're just not ready yet to wake up to that because yeah i mean it, it it's it's the ultimate leveler laughter right because even though my family thinks i'm crazy i could still bring these ideas up in a humorous way that doesn't incite their emotion or a negative emotion it, it just you know gets them to laugh and maybe for a moment ponder what i've said but that's, yeah, that's a tremendous skill. Not that I've mastered. I don't think you know, I could be a comedian, but I, you know, I have the honor, I guess, sort of, of working for Sam Tripoli, who's a comedian. And I see, you know, although he's no guru or expert, because he's funny and because he's honest about his interest in these subjects, you know, his show reaches people in a way that not a lot of shows do, you know, because he... You know, he brings light to a lot of these subjects and you could sort of get worked up to tears on his show, but you could also, you know, laugh so hard you, you start crying, right? So it, yeah. it is that kind of dualism, you know, the masks, right? The drama and the tragedy yeah. comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But because it is in a way, it's like, Oh gosh, it, it was saying it was a few people in our school that would talk about attitudes all the time. And it, it's funny because to come to a place when you say someone's ready, you know, to be to be ready, even myself had to be ready to come to a place to understand how deep choice goes and how much that you know, when you were talking about what people want or desire and how that gets manipulated. It's not I think it can be really hard or feel harsh maybe for some people to to hear things. And so they'll say it's crazy because then they don't have to deal with whatever made that 
feel maybe like hurt, even if it wasn't hurtful to begin with, but that the, the skills, I would say you remind, you say a lot of poetic things. I would say that we haven't, we've talked about, I guess, kind of more serious subjects, right? There's probably other more playful podcasts to be had, but you know, this is contextual. You have many years. You're not a flat two-dimensional thing you know you're you're a living being so I've experienced you very poetic but that's probably because of the context that we're in you probably are hilarious and that is a really amazing useful tool to access engagement or relating as my one of my friends calls it relatedness (laughs) which is funny I mean he has all these he calls them Peterologyisms because they're just his, you know, like goofy ways that kids say things. And I think that's, that's also fun and okay. It's like keeping space for invention within communication allows for that type of sad, happy face. Because the divine tragedy, I guess, would be not realizing that it's it is our show in a way like whoever's on, right. You're, you're like, you're on, you woke up this morning, you're on, what are you going to do? It's <laughs> instead of waking up in the morning and going, Oh, you know, I had to go to my job that I hate. Well, it's like, well, no one's making you go. Actually, no one ever made someone go for it's the consequences that I think people are often af- afraid of. So it's not that, your ideas or my ideas or anything that we're saying is actually crazy. It's just that the actual change itself is, it's probably, Oh gosh, you, you said, you said something about fear earlier. And so that it probably connects with something inside of them. That's true, but they, they're not ready yet. That's what he said. They're not ready yet. So then it's experienced as fear. So this is, you kind of, I could never have strung these words together without this conversation either. And that's what I mean about interdependency and human beings needing each other because it's like, (laughs) I don't, you know, I feel like podcasts are today's philosophy. And philosophers, I don't know what they did before. I don't know if they sat and talked to each other in cafes to write their books, but I highly doubt that great philosophies or discoveries were just kind of come about by one individual person that we owe our whole humanity to, you know, like <laughs> these, these are the grand stories that we make up that like, that doesn't feel real, you know, because, well, we knew, you know, the German terrain theory guys, you know, they were, or Jung and Freud, or these, and then there was another guy. I mean, there's so many guys. There's so many gals. They're just, if you go looking for it, you, you dig them up, and you realize that these sort of culturally appointed person maybe, maybe did indicate the more kind of heightened peak, but it didn't, it didn't give us a whole encompassing view of culture at that time, which is why I guess I was thinking about this week with what if common sense is actually more common sense? What if we do actually have more sense, shared sensibilities with each other? 
and that the idea that we're lacking common sense is not necessarily a lie, but an acceptance of a story that isn't true. So it's kind of like, how powerful are those media narratives if people do start laughing about some stuff in the news? And I'm not saying laugh about terrible tragedies in the news, but seeing that when you look at a really sad thing or a really hard thing or a thing that makes you feel really afraid with compassion, it also transforms it as well. It's like Ibsen. I don't know if you've read much about him, but my he, he talked a, a whole lot about understanding. So, I mean, it was like, that was his life's work was about understanding. So, and yeah, it's like, it's really hard for me to ever write a journalistic thing or take a black and white stance on a lot of things because understanding is kind of in and of itself really humbling. <laughs> like, it's, yeah, so then there's no figurehead anymore. It's like they become irrelevant, you know, the the people can lead themselves in a way instead of feeling like they need someone to look at all the time. It's like we're mm. looking towards a parent all the time for, you know, what should I do? I used to get really mad at my parents too because they'd be like, what should I do? And they're like, well, you know, we can't really tell you because last time we tried to tell you, you got really, that was, a, that was a really honest response. And it was really brilliant too, because I realized how loving and amazing my parents are, which I've pretty much known my whole life, but I've really been able to understand it more as I get older. Yeah. That's a so, really, really beautiful thing for them to do is give you the freedom to, <laughs> to choose and, and then respect your choice. Yeah. Right. I, I think yeah, that's... <laughs> I think current parents can learn from that because that is, you know, that is a thing these days where people are struggling to parent in a world that is so much different than the one they were parented in and the one that their parents were parented in. You know, that's the mm -hmm. the tricky thing, you know, hearkening back to the technological futuristic concepts that we've been discussing you know sure. it's even more challenging now but wow yeah rachel this has it been is. another fantastic conversation we've gone well over two hours here we had our, our our first conversation was about two hours and yeah i'd love to have you back on again in the future i think this is definitely indicative of two people with you know like minds and and very resonant you know work Although we have different mediums, you know, we both sort of deal with consciousness in different ways. So, yeah, it's a, it's a pleasure talking with you. And, and I'd love to invite you back on the show again. And, um, and yeah, before we go, before we wrap up, is there anything you'd like to share with the audience? Final words, final thoughts, or even something for them to follow up with? Some work coming out, things they can check out online. We talked about your website last time you were here and... That will be linked in the description for people to find. But what can they expect to see when they get there? Oh, sure. Well, one of the things we're going to start seeing is more news about Art Farm Iowa, which is that destination. So it's really great to see art coming to rural areas of the United States. And then we kept talking about ecology or symbiosis. And I don't know if you've 
already had Sophie Strand on your show or if she'd be interested, but she, she's an author. She has a really beautiful way of describing what she does, uh, which is actually what she does. And I've just really enjoyed reading Sophie Strand's writing about, you know, rewilding the masculine. And, mm. you know, she, she, she basically is offering amazing language that is sort of nourishing you know that's what culture ought to do that's what i feel so when they go hopefully they find say i also link people up in my on my website or you know different and i hope people go to my website and say see oh that was a residency and how do i apply you know or you know that we that i'm i openly share links and connections if it makes sense you know i'm not going to just randomly point someone to this author just because i love them and doesn't match your interests but yeah i'm it's, there's lots of stuff on my website and in my Substack, other artists that i link to and yeah i keep thinking about sophie the whole time we were talking and she's she's someone that i would think would be really fun to listen i'd love to listen to her interview so i'm plugging her right now <laughs> it's interesting because i have reached out and we got in touch she said she'd join me on the like closer to when the book is released I, that might have happened already because i reached out a, f a few months ago but it is oh, you know, synchronistic that you know we got in touch and and you're mentioning her because yeah that's the kind of reminder i need sometimes and it's <laughs> funny how it works out like i've had that happen a, a couple times where like one guest leads to another so to speak so yeah right. thank you for for reminding me and i have seen her book it's available through inner traditions people can go and get the yeah. pre-order on the website there and but yeah very cool and i'm interested to learn more about iowa synchronistically there was somebody who reached out about being on the show esoteric america which is a different show that i do where we talk about people where they live and they they sort of come on the show and and they have research for us right they do their own local research figure out you know hidden history or weird stuff that's happened near where they live and talk about it on the show and, and recently somebody was like yeah i want to do a show on the four corners in iowa or, or the quad city that's what it's called not four corners yep. quad city and they're like well it's it's four different cities so i'll only do just like one fourth of it but yeah that that happened also around the past week or so so that's interesting that there's focus on the on the heartland the midwest all right thank you folks for tuning in right this episode <laughs> yeah, my so, yeah the quad city podcast returning i'm glad to learn about and, your uh, yeah, your other projects too because they're on the show um yeah i don't often find kind of nothing uh, to do time between recording but, uh, if i if i do i the first place i go is uh, to but, listen to things i love yeah, listening was, uh, so yeah <laughs> i think my that's probably a good sign if i can't hear anymore Delay. No, I can hear you on my speakerphone, all right? But... Over. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Well, yeah, this yeah. is a good time to wrap up because there is a little bit of an echo when I start talking. But, yeah, again, thank you so much, Rachel. Just stay like I said, tuned. All your uh, stay tuned stuff is on the tune website. Tune in tomorrow. So tune in the next day. In Maybe even tune in your work. Uh, they can go and check it out on your website. And and yeah, who knows? Maybe you'll have your own podcast one day. If you ever have that thought, let me know. I'd love to give you a few pointers, give you the
the one on one this month. Set you on your way. We got but our first sponsor. This has been ever another great conversation. And, and well, to everyone listening, <laughs> uh, thank you so, so many much for being awesome here. People and immerse yourself in the up moment. On the Patreon. We finally made now. it to a hundred Patreon subscribers. Woo! Yeah! So awesome. Thank you to everybody who's subscribed on Patreon. As a reward for supporting the show, you get access to every single episode early. So, hey, sign up right now, and there's going to be even newer episodes than this one right there waiting for you to tune into. I can say for sure. There's four or five video episodes that uh, haven't even hit the cutting room floor uh, for audio. And they are available on Rockfin, and they're also available on Patreon. So go over there, wherever you prefer. If you're a real renegade, renegade, then you could try supporting us with a one-time donation, or you can support us via Ko-fi. The Ko-Fi store, Ko-Fi like Lo-Fi with a hyphen in between, and um, yeah, on the Ko-Fi store we got a bunch of stuff that you could buy. I have the Synchro Mystic Exploration of the Ever Expanding Now, a guide to travel wherever you are in the now. The travel guide doesn't really pertain to any one particular location. Shout out to my friend Brendan, aka Little Raven. I was just on his show, Barbarian Noetics, talking about the scene. Uh, we also have a new subscribers-only thing going on. You can sign up to be a part of the Synchro Wisdom Dialogue, whether you want advice, maybe you want to start a podcast, you'd like my consulting advice on podcasting, or maybe you just have a story you'd like to share, some research you want to run by me. The Synchro Wisdom Dialogue is the place to do it. Go over to the Ko-Fi store and sign up for a 30-minute, 90-minute, or 60-minute meeting. I don't know why I did 396, uh, 369, uh, 30 minutes, 60 minutes, or 90 minutes. It's up to you. Uh, and of course, it's not a strict time table, you know. We, we go over... Uh, and if, if you're wrapped up in five minutes, I mean, hey, what are we going to do? Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't foresee that happening. If you, if you only, even if you only have one question for me, I promise you uh, it'll be worth the time. We'll just hang out. We'll just kick it. It's up to you, whatever you want to do. But my time is valuable, and uh, this is one way that I'm taking value back. Uh, maybe that could be what we talk about strategies on how to upgrade your situation maybe you're a small business owner maybe you have a brand you're working on maybe you're an artist and you want to get out there let's talk i'm not a professional uh you know advisor of any kind but i think i can help you strategize and brainstorm and i've already said too much go over to the kofi store get in touch with me and uh, yeah, we got an awesome, awesome month ahead of us. I just had another conversation with the great Michael Hoffman today. So look forward to a new interview with Michael Hoffman. That episode will be on the Patreon very soon. It'll be on the Rockfin as well. We recorded video and yeah, I think I've plugged everything. If you don't know about 
the comic book that Juan, Chris, and I are all part of. Go and check it out. Juan, I think Juan and Paranoid American have it available uh, for purchase. So go over to Paranoid American on Instagram and check it out. I'm in a comic book now. Wow, how many people can say that? There are super, there's a superhero in a comic book based on me. I didn't even have to do anything. All I had to do was be myself. Go figure. Wow. What else we got? Oh, new t-shirts. Go to the Tea Public store. I'm gonna put the I'm gonna start putting the link in the description. The Teespring store will still be around, but I think I'm gonna put more designs on the Tea Public store after seeing what quality material they're working with over there. I just picked up two shirts from Juan for his podcast. I like the designs. One of them had Nicolas Cage on it, and the other one is just like this weirdo podcast shirt design that I like. I don't know, something about only wearing podcast merch is cool to me uh, in public. You know, I like I like thinking maybe there's a chance someone will recognize uh, the podcast that, uh, you know, I'm wearing on my shirt. <laughs> Usually I wear the, the tinfoil hat podcast. I, I'm not crazy enough to think that people will recognize me from a My Family Thinks I'm Crazy shirt. I do wear them occasionally, but anyways... Um, pick up some merch. I got the Bibliomancy article booklet thing that I wrote. It's pretty interesting. Uh, it's actually f- was inspired by Juan for the occult uh, Axis Mundi sort of journal that he wants to do. Um, I'm not an occultist, by the way, just a researcher. Um, Bibliomancy is interesting, though. I think Bibliomancy is one of those things that isn't necessarily a cult it's it's more like you're interacting with your your higher self i didn't really elaborate on that in that article so here's me saying it right now and uh yeah we got illuminati confirmed every tuesday we're gonna go live every other tuesday um every tuesday is i think well we might do we might do another episode uh, but just for the Patreon only. So it'll be every Tuesday. Not that you mad. Not that you care. Jeez, I'm really rambling for this outro. Um, so Illuminati Confirmed, Esoteric America, other shows that I do. Michael Wan and I, we just had a guest on our show. Shout out to Sarah. Sarah the Yoni Specialist. Uh, she joined us on Your Handbook for the Apocalypse, episode 45. You can find that on the Susquehanna Alchemy RSS feed. And that's about it. I'm done jabbering on. Thank you so much, folks. Please support the show with a one-time donation. All of the links for my PayPal, Cash App, and Venmo are in the description. That is always helpful. And I will give you a shout-out on the show when you do so. You give us a five-star rating and review, take a screenshot and DM me. I'll give you a shout-out on the show, and I'll send you a free sticker. So give us a five-star rating and review on Apple or wherever you listen to podcasts. Take that screenshot, DM me with it on Instagram, at myfamilythinksimcrazy, and we'll send you a free sticker. That's about it, folks. Big shout-out to Rachel Wolf. Go find her. Her website is in the description, and... Enjoy the moment wherever you are, immersing yourself in the moment, 
wherever you are in the now. Extraterrestrial, trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals. But I confess too much off of the tongue. All my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young. I be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from. In like a hundred years, we went saw bomb with guns. Check the facts, check the Fed, check the stars. Stanley Mines was murked for a water fuel cell car. They each they own, you could stick with your old ways. But eat the rich, you drink the motherfucking Kool Aid. And I can see the red on your lip stain. White skin, blue collar, pure American made. Fuck it. Keep your blood so heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. One too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for our military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Steel beams, another 1492. And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, riding ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crap. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got kin talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up camp. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kinda hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't phase me. My family did some crazy Anything out, so...